Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey there, welcome to the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell. If you're a loyal listener, you probably know that most of my guests here on the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast are grown-ups. But every once in a while, if I'm lucky enough, I get to interview a teen or young adult who is doing amazing things. Today's guest is just that. In this episode, I welcome Luke Harris to the show. At the young age of just 15 years old, as a sophomore in high school, Luke discovered a gap in the way his high school was teaching engineering. So rather than complain about it, he decided to develop his own curriculum for teaching middle school and high school students how to research and prototype solutions. During our conversation, Luke shares how he became interested in engineering and why he thinks problem solving is a lot like a tree. Stick around till the end when Luke offers valuable advice for young people who want to learn more about engineering. Luke is an inspiration to people of all ages, so invite your kids to listen with you. Now let's get started. Hi, Luke. Thanks so much for being here today on the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Hi. Well, this is a treat because I don't get to have many teenagers on the podcast, and teenagers are my favorite people. So Mm -hmm. I'm really (laughs) glad you're here. And for my audience, let me just briefly, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, but I found Luke here through an article that I read in Fast Company Magazine. And the title of the article is, I'm a high school sophomore. Here's how schools can teach kids to solve real world problems. So anyone who listens to the podcast knows I talk about problem solving and real world skills and all those things. Um, And now here we have Luke who's living that um, in his high school world. So before I blah, blah, blah with all my questions, because I have a lot of them, um, Luke, will you just take a minute or two and just give my audience a quick intro about who you are? Sure. My name is Luke Harris. I'm a sophomore and I go to uh, Horace Mann School here in New York City. And uh, I'm a big engineering fan. I did uh, robotics when I was in middle school and I've started it again in high school. And I've always sort of loved doing stuff with my hands, trying stuff out, doing tons of cool projects. And uh, I was disappointed when my school didn't have a bunch of engineering curriculum. So uh, I decided that I would take matters into my own hands and try and make one of my own. And while I was going through that process, I realized that the way we teach engineering is almost fundamentally flawed. Okay, so let me back up for a second. So oh. you're, were you 15 at the time? Uh, yeah, I would have okay. been 15. So you're 15 and you say, I want to learn engineering. My school doesn't offer it, but even if they did... I'm not happy with the way it might be delivered. Therefore, I'm going to create something myself. Is that really the thought process that happened in your mind? Yeah, basically. Okay. So (laughs) help me out here. You're 15, right? So are your parents engineers? 
Uh, no, my mom's an economist and my dad uh, used to work on Wall Street, but now he's retired. Okay. So you don't really live in an engineering focused home necessarily. Like, how did this happen? How did you, have you been always been a fan of engineering type activities? I know you said robotics, but like, how did you get to a point where you said, I'm just going to create this curriculum? Well, I think, uh, I guess the start of it all was when I, uh, when I was a kid, my favorite activities, have you ever, you know, those like plastic marble runs where you'd stack them up and then you'd watch the marble go down and it'd go through all the tubes. I always love oh, things yeah. like that. My I kids love, love those. Those are super fun. They're super cool. Uh, I always love things like Legos and like uh, little gear puzzles. I have a bunch on the table behind me. Um, and it was always just kind of like, well, I love working on that in my hands and I love making these cool projects. Uh, but there's not really like a, there's no like, arts and crafts profession. It's not like there's someone out there who just assembles fun projects all day. It's like someone, there are people who make them, but there's no one who assembles them. Um, but then I sort of learned about engineering. And actually the first person who introduced it to me was uh, one of uh, our family friends who is a little bit older than me. I think he's in college. Uh, he came over to babysit me one day. And this was when uh, I was probably seven. And I was playing with this marble run thing and it kept falling down. I was like, I don't understand why this thing is falling down. And he was like, basically these are, these are stabilizers. That was the word that he used. And it was like putting up columns to try and keep the extravagant marble run from falling down. And I was always like, wow, that's really cool. This guy's really cool. Um, And then as I kept playing with the marble runs and kept uh, working with stabilizers and learning about all these terms, I sort of stumbled across engineering because that was always just what people told me I was going to, they were like, wow, you're just like an engineer. And I was like, I don't know what that is. I'm a kid, but that sounds really cool. And I found it and I really liked it. And that's how I sort of ended up there. That is awesome. And I talk a lot on this podcast about parents to parents about helping their kids explore different things, things they like, things they're good at and try things, right? If you don't like it, then you move on to something else. But it sounds like this has been in your DNA pretty much your your whole childhood into middle school. So tell me a little bit more about the curriculum. What does it entail? How is it being used in schools? And, and how did you go about designing it? Well, basically the idea around the curriculum is that if we want to teach engineering, engineering is fundamentally about problem solving. It's like an engineer looks at how can I get across a river or how can I fly as high as possible? And they come up with solutions for those problems. And when I learned engineering, it was how do I use a bandsaw? How do I draw a blueprint? Which are all great skills and they help solve problems, but I was never taught actually how to solve a problem. I assume that they assumed that we would learn it through other classes like history or math. But in reality, I never really was taught like a strict problem solving process. It was always just kind of figure it out along the way. So my class that I designed asks students to first come up with problems because you can't solve a problem if you don't have one. So it talks kids through how to conduct ethnographic research where they go out into their communities and look around and see what problems people have. And it teaches them how they might break down those problems and understand them better. Because I think that we don't teach kids actually, we teach, we may teach them how to use a math formula, but we don't teach them how the formula is created. And we don't teach them how the problems are created. We, we ask students to do things and we don't teach them the context around them. 
So first, I started off uh, by asking students to look at problems and learn how to find them. And then from there, I asked them to solve them theoretically. So I say, here's your problem. How do you solve it now? And then once they have a solution, I ask them to go back and brainstorm and use all different techniques, which I've uh, learned uh, around brainstorming. And I ask them to really push the limits. Any ridiculous creative idea that they come up with, I ask them to put it down on paper. And then finally, I ask them to take those ideas that they created and go back out to the communities that they were researching in and basically test them. So they say, I've got this idea for this problem. Do you think it's feasible? Would would you use it? And if they say no, then back to the drawing board. If they say yes, then go ahead. From there, they prototype and go back out to the communities. And it's this constant process of evolving alongside the problem. Okay. <laughs> That's incredible. So let's talk a little bit about finding the problem. Because you're right. That's the biggest issue, right? And one of my recent guests on the podcast says you have to be able to know how to ask the questions to figure out what the problem is. And then once you have the problem, you can solve it, but you can't solve a problem until you know what it is. I also remember reading in your article about Shark Tank, which by the way, is our one of our family favorites. And I, the most successful ones, people who go on that show all seem to solve a problem that's either not being solved or they solve it better than it's being solved, right? So what is your thought process when it comes to coming up with the questions? Do you have like a formula for that or some sort of methodology that you use for that? Well, I think uh, I've had some experience writing things like surveys uh, for things like site classes, but also just for fun research projects that I've done. And the thing that I always realize is that if I ask a question with an answer in mind, if something people try and give you the answer that you want, like people are almost always helpful. They try and tell you what you want to hear, but that's not a good thing. That means that you just get skewed results. So uh, when I was trying to think about the ethnographic research phase where uh, I asked students to find problems, the number one thing that I had in mind was how do I make sure that students are finding problems that people actually have? One really great example of this that I've uh, heard is when a fast food company was trying to figure out why their smoothies weren't selling, they went to their customers and said, what would you, what would we need to do to the smoothie to make you buy it, essentially? And they said things like, well, if the price was lower, if it was healthier, if it was bigger, if it uh, had a better straw, a whole bunch of stuff, they tried it all. None of it worked. So they hired a company to come in and conduct ethnographic research. And the thing the company found was that there are two people who buy smoothies. One is parents who buy it for their kids. And the second is businessmen who want something to drink in the car on the way to work. So the company with that information was able to completely redo the modeling and the advertising around the smoothie. And it was successful. And what that teaches you is that if you ask people what the problem is, usually they don't even know it themselves. So I ask students to first go to a McDonald's, go to a Starbucks, go to any random restaurant, any deli, any bodega, and sit there and just watch people. Take notes for two hours on what people do. You can take half notes. You can be on your phone. But the critical thing is that you write down a problem that someone, that problems that people are having. Like someone was struggling to get a soda can into the trash can or someone couldn't decide what they wanted to buy off the menu. Just anything like that, because then you can figure out what problems people have without asking them, which means that you're figuring out the real problem. 
once you have some list of problems, then you start asking people because then you can figure out, well, what problems did you have? And if they point to things and you can say, well, they might, they might say something like, well, I had to carry this uh, beverage around all day. And then they might say, okay, well, maybe we need to change the shape of the can. And it's about understanding. It's like a tree. It's about understanding the root of the problem, the, the, the trunk of the problem, when people are only telling you about the leaves. You can't do it unless you see the whole tree. Exactly. There's, we talk about that in, I was in software and digital product design and it's root cause, right? Or root of the problem. And I love that you use a tree analogy. That's a great way to look at it. So you have had some experience or exposure, I should say, in the biotech field too. Is that right? Yeah. So can you tell me about that? Uh, sure. So um, about a year and a half ago now, um, I was had the opportunity to go to Harvard and see their biotech labs, which were super cool. Uh, and they had tons of really cool little projects going on around like animal mechanics, like the way a grasshopper jumps or the way a cockroach climbs up the wall. But the thing that stood out to me most when I was there was a glove, which is designed to help stroke victims regain control of their hands. So it has some sort of pressure on the fingers and on the joints, which allows them to move with the help of electronics. Uh, And I saw two versions of the glove, one which used pneumatics to uh, expand and contract the hand, and then another one which used uh, electric uh, electric muscles. And the thing that really stood out to me there was that it wasn't that they said, we have electric muscles, what can we do with it? Or they looked at the grasshopper and they said, a grasshopper jumps like this, how can we make use of this? They said, we need to help stroke victims regain control of their hand. And then they came up with a variety of solutions. So it's about starting with the problem and then moving towards a solution. I think that was a critical part of sort of my engineering education. Are you thinking that's a a path you might want to take? I I say this a lot too. I say, use your power for good. And you have one of those brains that I I can just see you doing amazing things. Are you thinking about a career maybe in engineering where you can help other people? I mean, I guess a lot of engineering helps other people, but specifically helping people in a particular area. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, well, one thing which I've always been interested in is in is civil engineering. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there are some uh, great, amazing structures in the world. Like, the Netherlands is a great example. Like, almost something like 30% of the country is underwater. Like, it's below sea level. And somehow they did this amazing feat of engineering to build an entire civilization mostly below sea level. It's crazy to me. And the amount of work and math and thinking and problem solving that went into that is something which I really admire. So I was always, that was always something which really interested me, and especially living in New York City, where we have the Verrazano Bridge, the Brooklyn Bridge, a lot of bridges, uh, a bunch of tunnels, we have a lot of great engineering structures around me. That was always a path that interested me. But recently, I've 
especially as I've been learning chemistry this year, I've taken an interest in chemical engineering, uh, in things like the sewage wastewater treatment system. That's something which I think is fascinating. Like you go through these plants and you just see these pipes and machines everywhere. And you're just like, how does it work? And there's somebody out there who knows how it works. And I, I think that's super cool. Um, but I would love to do something related to engineering. I don't know yet, though. I can never, I, I won't know until I do it, I guess. Well, and there's so many directions you can go with engineering, right? And so many people become engineers, but for as many people as become engineers are as many different job descriptions as there are. It sounds like you could do just about anything you put your mind to. Um, what about kids who maybe aren't sure if they want to pursue engineering? Do you have any advice for kids who might be interested in learning more about engineering? Well, outside of talking to engineers or people that you know who are in engineering, I think, uh, at least for me, the number one most interesting thing in every person's life about engineering, which I've found, is the car. Because it's one of those machines which most people in America know about, but it's an amazing feat of engineering. And at least for me, I always loved disassembling things and reassembling things. So if you're interested in engineering and you know, like an automotive mechanic, you can watch him work and see what he does. And that was always something which was really interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, I have a 15 year old as well as a 17 year old, and he's really into cars and can tell you more about how they work and inside the engine than, you know, thanks to YouTube and also just getting under the car. But I think you make a good point. There's so much to experience and explore right in daily life about engineering, right? To your point, there's bridges, there's cars, there's buildings, there's all kinds of things, chemical engineering. Let's talk a little bit more about your curriculum. Is it being used in your high school? So um, my high school has some pretty strict rules about curriculum and teachers, but they've taken some of my ideas into account and they're expanding the engineering curriculum uh, to include industrial engineering next year as a class, talking about production lines and big industrial machines and they've also said that in a year or two they'd uh they might work with me on implementing my curriculum so i'm super excited to next year be taking industrial engineering because i got to try it out but um outside of my high school there have been a bunch of high schools around the city and the nation which have expressed interest in using it and i've been talking with them about implementing it uh so yeah wow that's awesome and the URL for your website, which is Design Engineering Curriculum for Young Adults, the URL is entrepreneurialengineeringswithans.com. So if anybody wants to go on there and check it out and maybe introduce it to your school, if your school's looking for some engineering curriculum, I think that'd be super cool. And I think, you know, this is an amazing feat for a 15-year-old just out-of-the-box thinking and really exciting. And I love that you saw a problem and said, the solution doesn't exist. I'm going to find the solution. And I think that's so powerful and so true about your generation. I think, generally speaking, young people feel like they can make a difference and can change the world. And you're proof of that. Any other advice for kids in high school or or kids getting ready to go to high school about how they might be able to make their high school experience a little bit better? Um, well, at least one thing which my parents always told me as just general advice is essentially 
try and open as many doors as you can. If someone expresses that you can try something out and if you're going to spend the weekend instead playing video games or uh, doing work super far in advance, something like that, I would recommend trying it out. I think that you should always try and see what doors any opportunity might lead to. My parents said that I could come along uh, and go on a trip to Harvard and that led to me essentially designing the curriculum. I think that the at least my advice for high schoolers is that you should try and open as many doors as you can. If there's a new experience, you should try it out because I think the more open doors that you have, the easier it is to try something that you really love later on in life. Uh, I'm at a point in my life where I don't know what I really want to do for the next 30 or 40 years of my life. But I think uh, that having as many options as possible can never be a bad thing. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, Yeah. And also, uh, I thought I'd just add that on my website, there's uh, a sample lesson plan and also a teacher's guide if anyone at home wants to just try it out on their own. Uh, I've had some parents contact me and just say, this is a summer activity I wanted to try with my kids. Um, And I think it could definitely work as that. It's one of those cool things you can do with like paper and scissors. Just go out, spend the day walking around to the aquarium or at the zoo and say, what are the problems that the monkeys are facing what are the problems the zookeepers are facing and then go home and write down some solutions things like that it's a great idea in fact that's an awesome idea for homeschooling families because the ones that i know anyway they do a lot of field trips to places like museums and the zoo and things like that anyway so this is a great opportunity for them to incorporate your curriculum into that that's a really good idea you know what i didn't ask you about and i meant to which is a big big topic for me is failure a big part of the design, pro- the engineering design process is, right, create it, let, break it, fi- or have it fail, and go back to redesign and try again. How has that been for you? Because I think a lot of young people struggle with that, right? You, you guys are so conditioned to get straight A's or A's and B's and do well in school. Have, have your projects sort of, you had some failures in your projects, and how did you respond to that? Well, um, the biggest experience I have with failure was, well, before this project, I wrote a blog about card games, which never really end up, ended up going anywhere outside of my family reading it. But uh, the biggest experience I had with failure was last year, I had a concussion. Uh, I do wrestling and I was at um, a local city tournament and uh, I got kicked in the head and I was concussed for five months and my grades just went right down the hole. Wow. And it was really frustrating because I've always like, tried to keep my grades up, tried to open doors. But then I, it felt like no matter what I did, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't. I would just get headaches frequently. I stopped eating. I lost 25 pounds uh, in two weeks. Wow. Um, and then I and then I gained a lot of weight and then lose a lot of weight. It was crazy. And I couldn't, I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do. And then COVID hit. So I was online with a concussion. It was totally crazy. Um, and I had like technical issues with some testing, things like that. And it was just, it was really, it, it felt like no matter what I did, no matter like where I turned or what I tried, it, it always ended in the same result. And I've recovered now, but I still have, I still sometimes feel like I have habits or I get headaches all because of that. And it, it, it stuck with me for a long time. Um, so I can, I can definitely see how, and, and even in my day-to-day life, when I write essays, like hit a wall. And I'm like, I have no idea what I want to say. I don't know how to say this. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I don't even know what my topic sentence is, let alone the rest of the essay. But well, I think uh, the at least the best way for me uh, in handling failure is almost to realize that 
the that failure isn't the end of it. It's like if I get a bad grade, if I don't get the if I looking down the road, if I fail to get into like the number one college that I wanted to go to, if I don't uh, get things that I want, it doesn't really, it's not the end of my life. It's not like I'm going to suddenly burst into flames and fall dead on the ground. It's everything that I do is so that way I can try and be as happy as possible in the future. But there's nothing stopping me from being happy, even if I don't do things right now. Wow. That is so much wisdom and such a positive outlook. You're like older than your years. You you have so much maturity. Your parents must be so proud of you. This has been such an eye-opening and really enjoyable experience. And yeah, I'll put a link to your website and your email address in the show notes so people can reach out and take a look at your curriculum if they're interested. How's that? Sounds good. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super, super grateful. All right. Thank you. I've said it before and I'll say it again because I really believe it. Teens will change the world. I get so much joy out of talking to young people who are curious and enthusiastic about learning new things. Some of the best learning happens outside of the classroom in the world around us. And Luke showed us that. When he found out that his school couldn't provide what he needed, rather than sitting around complaining about it, Luke took action and developed his own curriculum. I think my conversation with Luke is just more reinforcement that if we encourage our kids to stay curious, keep learning, and become solutions-oriented, they will achieve great things. Be sure to read the article about Luke in Fast Company magazine. I'll include a link in the show notes. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm so glad you're here, and I'd be so grateful if you would follow or subscribe to the High School Hamster Wheel podcast in your favorite podcast player. I welcome your feedback, and I'd love to hear any ideas you have for future episodes. All links and references mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes at highschoolhamsterwheel.com slash 83. Be sure to follow the High School Hamster Wheel podcast on Facebook And join me and my co-host, Jay Dussold, in our Life After 12th Facebook group, where we provide support and encouragement for parents of career-confused teens and 20-somethings. That wraps it up for today. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. (laughs) I've never done it. (laughs) Right.